Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Grammy Award-winning Italian conductor and music director of the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, Fabio Luisi is a maestro open to new ideas. His conducting style is defined by precision, passion, and a deep respect for the composer's creation, a philosophy that also extends to his other creative passion, perfumery. I try not to recreate. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense to recreate the perfume of a rose because the perfect perfume of a rose is a rose itself. What is the point? It already exists in the perfection. So I try to create something new, something that doesn't exist. You're listening to Speaking Soundly, a backstage pass to today's biggest stars of the music world. I'm your host, David Krause, principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera. During each episode, you'll hear me speak with inspiring performers about their creative process and the personal journey that led them to the stage. It's so good to talk to you. You're one of my favorite conductors to play for. And while I have you here, I want to tell you why. You're this soft-spoken, elegant, bow-tie-wearing Italian man. But there are moments when you're conducting and you lose it. <laughs> I mean, You become red-faced. Your arms are stretched out. It looks like you're screaming at the heavens. It's just really inspiring to witness this brief moment of complete abandon from an otherwise totally put together person. Do you try to harness or manage these moments of unbridled enthusiasm on the podium while you're conducting, or do you just kind of let them happen where they happen? Well, thank you for flattering me. <laughs> I, it's, uh, actually, I don't know, because my job is, is really a, a mix-up of things, and uh, concerning what you just said is... Uh, it is both. It is constructing, because if you are going toward the climax, you have to, to shape this construction. And it is something which is not only instinct, but it's the intellect plays a role. And the moment of getting 
lose. This is also very important, but it can only happen if you have done the construction. The base is well constructed. And so I think this is a combination of the two. If I only think about letting go, maybe the construction wouldn't be so stable and we, we wouldn't arrive to this climax properly. You have to prepare it and preparing it is uh, also a question of proportions. And uh, as a conductor, I have to uh, take care of those proportions uh, so it doesn't break down. Isn't it difficult, though, to be precise and passionate at the same time? It's a good question. Actually, I've never thought about this. Uh, Look, I only can be how I am. I I don't know. I'm not constructing my life and I'm not trying to be precise uh, for precision's sake. It's just I have to be precise because I respect the will of the composer. I try to. I mean, I cannot do everything 100%, but that's, that's what I'm trying. And I also try to understand this moment of, uh, let's call it ecstasy, that's, uh, which, is, uh, which is what we are describing, actually. This is this mm. moment where you abandon reality and uh, you, you go for, for just a moment, for this magic moment of this, uh, to this new realm, and which is uh, outside of uh, reality and real life. I, I don't know. I need that. I, I need those moments, of course. And I need them in music. And of course, like every one of us, I need them in life as well. Uh, so I try to have a balance between the two, but it's not voluntary. It comes from, from itself. I, I'm not doing it uh, by purpose. Yeah. And I think the ability to do both and to balance both is what makes you such a genius conductor. Um, no, no, no. So, this, isn't, this is not a genius. This is not a genius. It's a job. It's a job. Okay. But there is some level of expertise and artistry to it, right? I mean, you're transforming notes on a page the same way that if I were to cook a recipe from a cookbook, I could follow it to a T and, and make whatever it is. But if a great chef does that, they're going to turn it into something sublime. So I think that's genius, isn't it? I like this uh, metaphor with the, with the recipe. And, uh, you know, a good chef respects the recipe. And he has to respect the recipe. Otherwise, it doesn't work. But he puts something a little bit different, which makes it special. If I only do what it is written in the score, this is not enough because I have to go between the lines, beyond the written in the score. Of course, the score helps me, but I have to understand more than what is written. This is probably the difference, but it's not only by conducting, this is by music always. Right. So you're a pianist. And long before you ever started studying conducting, you studied the piano. What was that early musical development like for you? It, it was like a game for me. I started when I was three and a half years old, and I liked it very much. It was a game. And uh, I remember every small book, you know, when you start as a child, you have this small book with songs and with small exercises. 
and the, the first book is over and then you, you buy the second book and the third book. And every time a book was over, I got a, a small model car. And that, 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 this was for me, of course, very, very important and very fun. And so when I was a little bit older, I have a lot of those cars and that, that was very nice. So I, I liked it because it was a, it was a game and I had a very good, uh, a nice teacher. After the lesson, I was allowed to go to another room where there were a lot of cookies or uh, sugar, well, this kind of thing for, for children. And when did you start to get serious about it? When did the motivation shift from just getting candy to getting better at the instrument? When I was like uh, 15, 16. So it took time before I decided to do it properly. And uh, so there were many different crises in, in between, of course. And once I wanted to stop, then my parents didn't let me stop. So I continued, but not very happy. So I changed teacher and then it went better. So after my 14th uh, birthday, I started actually to practice properly. But the, the high time of practicing at the piano was between 17 and 20. So I mm. was, at that time I was uh, too old to become a pianist. I, I could see that very, very soon then. But it was also a time when I started working with, uh, with singers. And this uh, changed my life. I liked it so much and it opened the way to, to opera. And so it started with another idea of making music, which uh, become then uh, study for conductor. I'm glad that transition to conducting happened, but I'm curious about that time in your life when you realized that you would not become a pianist. Was that a traumatic decision or was being a pianist something you never really wanted to do in the first place? No, I wanted to be a pianist. I, I really did, but I saw that I was not good enough. There are people who are younger than I, and, and they play much better. And they play more difficult pieces than I, I can play. And the, there were pieces I could not play because they were too difficult. And so I was not sad because I, I uh, at that time when I... I had this uh, um, this epiphany, <laughs> this negative epiphany. I, I wanted to do something different already. So when was the first time you picked up a baton? I moved to Austria in order to study conducting. And until then, I had never conducted an orchestra, not even a small chamber orchestra. So I put together a couple of friends and we did a couple of concerts. I, I had a girlfriend there, she played recorder. And so I conducted for her the Vivaldi Piccolo Concerto. So that was the first time probably. So your conducting career is based in impressing a girl. <laughs> uh, that was part of it. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, when you were studying the piano, I'm sure there are many great pianists that inspired you. So is it the same process with conducting? Like, who were the conductors that you learned from and you admired and you wanted to be like? When I started, of course, I admired the conductor. I could see the most. And at that time, it was Claudio Abado, who I liked very much. And I never stopped liking him. 
But uh, the moment I started really uh, seriously to think about conducting, I had three conductors who were for me like uh, uh, role models. There was uh, Karajan, Bernstein, and Chalibidafe. So this is the most different conductor you cannot find, actually. For example, Karajan and, and uh, Chalibidafe, I mean, that they are two different universes in, in making music. They, and if, if you listen to their recordings, they are completely different in, in almost everything. But uh, so we, we come back to, to your previous question about personality. Uh, their personality and their knowledge of the score made them conduct in a way that when I heard Karajan conducting Brahms or Brooklyn, I thought this is the right way. And then I heard Shelly Pidache conducting Brahms or Bruckner, which is completely different, not, not a little bit different, completely different. It takes uh, uh, ages uh, and slow tempi, but it works. It is beautiful. It is great. It, is, it makes sense. And Karajan, on the other way, is different, is swift, is more um, flowy, and it's beautiful and it works. So it's logic, you, you see the construction, you see the shaping of phrases, but in a different way. I, I don't know why, but it is, uh, this is one of the mysteries of our profession. So with all of this in mind, circling back to your evolution as a conductor, when you go back and listen to earlier recordings of works that you've conducted, do you, do you listen to... You mean recording of myself? Yeah. No, I never hear my recordings. Never? No. Look, I, I, I made a lot of recordings lately, and uh, all the uh, sound engineers, they ask me, uh, have you heard it? I don't want to hear it. I trust them because I have chosen them, because I know them. I tell them always, do your job, make the best out of it, but I, I don't want to be involved in this. And if, this, if it is ready, if they are happy, I'm happy. I don't listen to it. What's the reason behind that? Is it that you're just not interested and that music exists in that moment, that moment only? Or is it maybe if you listen to it, you might not like what you hear? A combination of all these aspects, actually. Uh, the, the fear that I, I, I could not like it is present, of course. But the fact that uh, I'm now not the man anymore or the musician anymore who did this recording, I could do a different way now. Maybe even because I, I work so hard on, on that recording that now I, I want to put it away from my brain and approach the piece in, an, in a new way that could be possible. Mm. You've conducted and been the music director of orchestras and opera houses all over the world. So I want to ask you if there are still musical traditions that happen specifically in certain places of the world. Is there validity in saying that since you're Italian, you do Italian music better than someone who wasn't born in Italy? I don't believe in this. No? No, not at all. I mean, this, this is... Uh, uh... Like we say, only Polish pianists can play Chopin. This nonsense. Okay, but if you grew up speaking the same language, 
eating the same food, breathing the same air that Chopin did, maybe that person is more in touch with the music of Chopin just having had that experience? No, I don't believe that. And I don't believe that the, the, uh, the, the best conductors of Italian music are Italians. Why? There are excellent conductors who are not Italian, never lived in Italy, never spoke a, a word Italian, and they conduct uh, Italian opera brilliantly. I'm clearly out of my element, not going to win this argument with you, so I'm going to change the subject altogether. <laughs> Can we talk about your perfume business? Yeah, sure. Where do you even get the idea to start experimenting with perfumes? Uh, well, it, it was the time I was in New York. I, I lived in New York, actually. Uh, I, I always liked perfumes, and I remember buying perfumes since I was uh, 13, I think. And uh, it, it, the, the world of smell is something which fascinated me always. Not only necessarily perfumes, but all kinds of smells. Uh, you know, I'm not a professional perfumer, but as a passionate perfumer, hobby perfumer, there are no bad smells. Everything has a value as a smell. And the feeling of smelling something is already great. And reproducing or producing something new is what fascinated me. That's why I started experimenting. What were some of those first perfumes when you were younger that really captured your attention? I was uh, one of the first perfumes I bought. I must have been like 14 years old. It was uh, Vetiver by Garlin. It was a very famous perfume created in the 50s, I think. And uh, it still has a place in my heart, this perfume. This is something which accompanies my life since I'm, I was a kid. And there it started, I think, with this very perfume. This is so interesting to talk about because to me, when I smell something, it unlocks a memory instantaneously. So do you rely on your own memories to create new scents and new perfumes? Yes, but it's not a memory of a scent. It's a memory of a situation because I can remember some smells, but uh, this is not the point. The point is uh, for me when I try to create a perfume is to start having an idea of a situation or a story or a location, something like this. Uh, a room full by men who are smoking and then a, a beautiful woman come in and uh, everybody is looking at her. So this is an idea for a perfume. I try not to recreate. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to recreate the perfume of a rose because the perfect perfume of a rose is a rose itself. So I cannot do better than the nature has done. The flower is perfect. I won't ever be perfect in recreating this, uh, this perfume because it already exists in the perfection. So I try to create something new, something that doesn't exist. So right now I'm picturing you in a white lab coat with vials everywhere, very carefully putting things together. What is the process of making a center? Are you in a lab? I have, I have a lab at home. Of course you do. <laughs> I have a lab in, in, in my apartment in Switzerland. And one room is dedicated to the perfumes. And it is a so, sort of lab, exactly how you described it. 
there are like uh, 300, 400 different bottles with uh, the raw substances from which I will uh, take and create something. And how do you get better at it? Can you practice it the same way you practice conducting or, or piano? Well, when I was in New York, I had a teacher and he was a very gifted man. And he taught me not only about perfumery, but also about feeling. And it was very beautiful because, for example, we painted during the, his lessons and we connected colors to substances, to perfumes. So this, uh, this idea of interdisciplinarity of, of things was very important. But sorry, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not answering your question. Uh, well, yes, there are rules, basically. And handling with, uh, with these uh, substances, you learn how they react to each other. So what you can put together and how you can avoid big mistakes. But it's also a lot of process of trying and trying again and trying again in different proportions. So I assume after working with perfumes for so long, your olfactory system is finely tuned. When I'm walking through the streets of New York City, there are some smells that are just repugnant. With your refined sense of smell, this must drive you insane. Is that difficult on a practical level, just walking down the street? Not at all. I like to smell everything. Even smells you don't like and I don't like. But the moment I smell this, it is interesting because I would like to know how to compose this. So I always try to analyze what is inside this uh, terrible smell. Why it is so terrible. There are substances that, that smell terribly. I have them and I use them as well in making perfume. Yeah, this is strange, but it is, uh, it is true. No, it's fascinating, but you have to promise me next time you're in town, we're going to get together and ride the subway and you're going to smell some things. Okay. <laughs> I, I will tell you what it is. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It has been beautiful to talk with you. Thank you, David. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Soundly. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up on future episodes, follow us on Instagram at speakingsndly and visit our website, artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist speaking soundly. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.